Hello and welcome back to the Culture Creators Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Irene McCrillos. Hi. Irene, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So the first question I ask all my guests, so we can place you, mm-hmm. is if you can give us a quick background of what you've done and how you come to be sitting here talking to me about culture today. Sure. Uh, so my background is uh, about 22 years in HR. Yep. Um, I got into HR a little bit later. Um, in life, I uh, started off in recruitment agencies and then moved into internal recruitment, then moved into internal HR, um, and then found myself um, mainly in the mining and resources industry to start off with, uh, just sort of through you know key um, advisory roles and then senior advisory roles and then management roles. Um, eventually moved to um, a couple of organisations uh, more in that technology space. Um, and headed up HR operations, and uh, then finally worked for another miner recently, just looking after some uh, back sort of house HR processes um, and some systems implementations for a while as well. Um, and now I am, I've just started my own business, 12IC. Superb. Uh, which is a HR consultancy specifically specialising in. Um, I guess people solutions and integrations, transformations and systems implementations. Superb, superb. So I wanted to talk to you today about a particular part of your experience and background of when you brought, was it three companies together? A few of them, yeah. Yeah, a few of them together. And what I'm particularly interested in is how you brought the differing cultures together. Sure. Um, part of the line of investigation of this podcast is to understand cultures better mm-hmm. um, and particularly around, you know, whether it's workplaces, community groups or sports, sports teams or things, things of that nature. And I find that we can learn more by understanding, by talking to people who have created a culture, people who have inherited a culture. What I also find interesting is when organisations are tasked with merging together how you bring those cultures together. So do you want to just give us a little bit of a background of that situation and then we'll dive deeper into it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've, I've probably got a couple of examples. Yeah. Uh, one example is um, a specific um, acquisition that I supported um, where we had a larger business um, who acquired a number of smaller businesses. Um, those smaller businesses sat under one umbrella mm-hmm. um, and each of those smaller businesses ran as their own individual units, if you will, yes. who had their own individual type cultures. Right. Um, we were the acquiring business, so I was with the acquiring business mm-hmm. um, and I was part of the HR stream that was working on the merger and acquisition. So I was tasked with supporting everything from the policies, procedural, kind of, I guess, um, due diligence and, and um, you know, uh, merging as well as the cultural merging. Mm. So how would you describe the differing cultures before they were brought together? So um, probably the way I describe them is that the bigger company that I worked for um, was probably a bit more of what I would call an elephant. An elephant. An elephant. Okay. So they were slow, uh, exuded confidence, uh, very calm, 
very much owned a very large sector of, of the, the marketplace and the, the business that we were, I guess, in the industry of. Yes. Um, and they were very much, um, you know, they had very strong, what I'd call cultural and, um, you know, behavioral memory. Right. Um, That's and interesting memory. Yes, because elephants do. They yeah, have they that do. real deep memory, right? Mm. And so there was some really, you know, sort of, 40 year plus type cultural memory that existed oh, in this right. business, um, which was really interesting. That's interesting, yeah. And then um, probably two, there was about five or six business units that we'd acquired or businesses that we'd acquired that sort of behaved as individual standalone business units. And um, two probably stuck out the most because they were the bigger ones and they were probably the ones that were a little bit more um, I guess, sizable mm. for us needing to kind of do some different work on them. Yeah. Um, and one of them I would probably describe a little bit like a tiger. Right. Okay. So I'd, I'd liken them to that. Um, you know, they were, um, I guess, uh, you know, they were kind of hunters, if I can use that term. Okay. They understood their marketplace really well. They knew absolutely how to get out there and how to sell and how to do those things. They also... Um, you know, had a level of, I guess, targeting exactly what it was that they were going after. All oh, right. So they spotted their prey. They spotted it. And went for it. And they went for it and they sat and they did all the things that they needed to do to ensure that they were aligned and uh, ready to actually, I guess, you know, pounce, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, when that particular, you know, tender or that particular piece of work would come up or when that particular client would, would need them. Um, they were also quite... Um, I guess they had a, a level of speed and agility to them oh. um, because of, of the way that they were structured. They were a smaller business. They were able to move a little bit differently, a little bit faster um, in a slightly different rhythm than, you know, the, the larger organisation. The elephant. Yeah. yeah. And then the other business um, was a bit more of a quiet achiever. So I'd probably liken them to something more like a rabbit. Okay. You know, they were quite nimble, quite agile, but, you know, they weren't quite as loud or as roaring as a tiger. So you, could, you could walk past them. You and could walk would be... past them and, you know, you wouldn't even know that they were there. Um, but, you know, they were in the business of making good money. They just did it really quietly. They were very nimble. Um, they had the ability to kind of almost, you know, move about and kind of go off on their own and do their own thing without a great deal of support from the wider organisation. Mm. Um, and they were probably the three main cultures that we had to bring in together. Right. So, um, what was the plan then? Because you've got three. Yeah. Is it, because with an acquiring company, you have a greater sense of power, yeah. influence, Absolutely. authority. So it could be easy to just go, right, you're all elephants now. You're all part of the herd, yeah. right? Or is it between the three, create a fourth? So the initial sense was they all need to become elephants, which is really interesting because the whole reason why they were attractive to us to acquire were all the things that I just talked about, right? right. So their speed, their agility, their ability to, um, you know, I guess, move about in a marketplace in a certain way, etc. And yet the Both sentiment... Both of those examples had that. Absolutely. And yet the sentiment, the initial underlying sentiment that existed in the business was very much, how do we turn them into the elephant? Mm. 
Right. How do we incorporate them so that they can become elephants? Um, so what became apparent as we started to go through the due diligence and as we started to sort of look at um, not just the, the policies, the procedures, the processes and, and all of those, I mm. guess, um, components. And, and what I do tend to find with mergers and acquisitions is that um, typically there's so much focus on the financial yes. and the operational components that culture sometimes sort of tends to sit, not just to the side, but it's, it's a footnote, right? It's yeah. a footnote afterthought. Um, but what was interesting as we started to go through this journey is we actually realized that we would absolutely be hamstringing these businesses if we actually tried to morph them into elephants. Right. And so what we attempted to do was to allow them to continue to be these animals, right? Yeah, these yeah. different behavioral beings, right? Um, and allow their culture to be, um, you know, the dynamics, the dynamic culture that it was, but by providing them the operational safety and support of, a, you know, a confident organization that had the compass, correct, absolutely, who could come out mm. and protect them and assist them and give them some of that underlying, um, you know, I guess, framework to be able to work with, um, but without having to actually um, transform them into absolute, you know, mm. um, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the background of, of the business that we were. Mm. So in that due diligence process and in, a, in able to come to those analogies of the tiger and the rabbit, did you actually go and spend time with their people? Absolutely. Right, and what sort of things were you doing and picking up there? So um, I guess the first thing that we did is we, we planned what it would look like. What, did it, what was it that we initially thought we wanted it to look like? And what we initially thought we wanted it to look like was we were gonna transform them all into elephants. And when we went in initially to talk to them, it was very much about Help us understand where you're at so we can understand what the gap is so that we can then transform you into elephants, right? Yeah. But um, a lot of the conversation that we were hearing back was, I'm able to do this because I don't have these 25, you know, red tape yeah. procedural things that yeah, I have to go in. through, yes. right? To be able to then go to the marketplace. Um, and so there was, you know, there was some of that. There was some procedural stuff that we heard didn't exist in the same way that it existed with our larger organization. That meant that if we were to bring them into that wider um, sort of framework, it was actually going to hamstring them. Hmm. Um, we also heard conversations around, um, you know, some of the unheard, untold things. So, you know, they were able to, hmm. even though there was a, a potential, um, you know, in some cases, there was a designated, you know, authority for how much they were able to sign off they knew that in principle they had that sign off and they could just go out and actually do this piece of work and they just needed the rubber stamp at the end. Yes. And so there were some behavioral things in how they followed business transactions that were different to the way that we did things that we realized that if we started to change was going to actually make them less effective. Yeah. Um, other things that we heard was that there was a close knit uh, almost you know, we're kind of family and we look after each other. Right. Where the organization that, you know, that that we were, who was acquiring them, 
we had something like 10,000 employees, <laughs> right? right yeah. um, so not everybody knew everybody and it was very, very corporate minded and very yeah, much, it was, all, it was all structure and hierarchy, yeah. et cetera. And so we listened to all of that information and then took it back to the relevant stakeholders. Um, and we, we actually had to create a bit of a business case to say that the best outcome here isn't to follow a, you know, this sort of binary roadmap that we've put in place to say, you will all become this. Um, but actually, to consider some different, um, mm. some different ways of, of, of um, I guess, creating, you know, an outcome that maybe actually was a bit more, um, it was a bit more blended mm. and less, you know, binary. You will become this. How did those conversations go? Because they were interesting. <laughs> yeah, because um, one of the things as I consider culture more and more deeply is that. Culture shapes our, our frames of reference, and we'll have typically what you know our well-defined frame of reference, and so that's how it needs to be in the world. Because yeah, and and we're not usually aware that it's it's at play. So you know things that are not the same just tend to be passed off or seen inferior, seen as being inferior, or what have you. So. How did you manage to punch into that? I think the important thing is that really being able to help a leader, any leader, understand the impact that their behaviours and their actions and the, you know, I guess the underlying organisational culture has on the morale and on the engagement of mm. employees is probably one of the biggest levers that you can use to then start that conversation. Yes. Um, and a lot of it is about how do you help them see into the future. So right. talking them through specific examples of, okay, hmm. if we were to take you know this group, who are the rabbits, let's say, and we were to actually place them into this environment, what would that mean from a market perspective? What would that actually mean from their ability not to just to go out to market, but what would it mean with respect to how engaged they were as employees? What would it mean with respect right. to how supported they felt to actually be able to get this piece of work through if it now apparently takes them two days to go out and put a tender in and you're now asking them to go through this massive process of yeah. 35 weeks, how are they actually going to be successful? And mm. Not just talking about it, and I, and I find that sometimes, I think it's easier for us as HR professionals to talk about some of the conceptual components of, of culture. Um, what, I, what we attempted to do through this process is to actually bring it down to practical terms. Yeah. So in practical terms, what is it actually going to impact? Right. It's going to impact their ability to do business. It's going to impact their ability to go to market. It's going to impact their ability to actually have you know enjoyable employee experiences through these five or six different things that yeah. it's now going to touch. How do you see culture working? Um, I see culture as like a live, dynamic, living thing. Right. I almost see it as, you know, I guess, um, I almost liken it to, um, you know, the way that somebody speaks about a human being at a eulogy, right? So what do they say about oh, them? Right. Who are they? The character of who they are, how they made somebody feel, you know, what reputation and brand are they leaving behind? 
Um, you know, how did they actually, um, you know, how did they behave towards you? Um, you know, how did they treat others? Yeah. Um, and if you think about it in, in those terms, it's no different being in a cultural environment of an organisation. You experience similar things to what you experience when you interact with another human being. Yes. Um, and so the example that I would use in some cases to support leaders through some of those cultural conversations was to say, talk to me about a really positive interaction that you had with a human being. Forget about an organisation that you worked with. Talk to me about an interaction that you had with a human being. Yeah. A positive interaction. And they were yeah. like, it was this and it was that. And you'd see their eyes light up. Yeah, very life-affirming. Correct, life-affirming and very growth mindset. You know, I want to engage back again. I want to, um, you know, I'm inspired. Mm. I want to, I'm so excited about this. And then you'd say, well, talk to me about a potential negative or toxic interaction that you had. Yes. And it was, you know, words that were coming up were demoralizing, disengaging, disillusioning, etc. Um, and it's, this, it's no different with a culture. It's a yeah. living, eating, breathing thing in my mind yes. that actually, and that's the reason why you feel it, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it, it is intangible, isn't it? Because it is intangible, but it's no different to um, the same sensations and interactions that you might get when you interact with another human being. It's real. It's, it's real. just underlying. It's very real. Absolutely. But you can't put it on the asset, uh, asset, uh, the asset and liabilities sheet. Correct. But isn't it interesting that, um, and, you know, and, and, and obviously I'm sure you've done some reading, as you know, we all have, um, that so much of, um, you know, of, of I guess an organisation's capacity to grow, um, be sustainable and continue to be successful tends to correlate with really strong growth affirming culture versus businesses who actually don't have that. Yes. Makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Makes sense. Absolutely. Hmm. So what did you do and how did you bring them together? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, the first thing was, you know, what was our plan and what we were going to do with regards to our plan. Um, the second thing was to actually go in and do some of that discovery, investigation, understanding, learning. And initially it was with a mindset to how do we change them? Yes. And then it became more of a mindset of how do we actually help them? You know, yeah. how do we bring the, the good bits? Um, how do we allow them to have success? by giving them the framework and the platform for them to actually be able to work from. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it became about communications and transparency of communications. And I think through a lot of mergers and acquisitions, especially to do with culture, people are concerned about, you know, okay, we might have to potentially change the structure and we might have to merge some departments. And, mm. um, and what so, does this mean for me, my yes, job, my employment being paid? But interestingly enough, so many businesses do not openly communicate this information to their employees and believe that actually keeping quiet is the way to mm. manage it. Um, and what I've found through my time in HR, having worked with, you know, various um, business restructures and, you know, M&As, is that ultimately the more transparent and open you are about the communication, the more likely you are to continue to maintain your employee engagement, but yeah. also too, the more likely you are to actually get a real read of 
who's on board, who's not on board, mm. and how do you actually maintain the talent that right. you want to maintain? Yeah, because that's that's a critical thing during these absolutely periods of flux. Yeah, um, and then I think you know over and above that, some of the other things that we also did um, is uh, just to involve some of the employees in the process. So right. we created some subgroups, which remained post the merge. Right. Um, so these subgroups, we obviously had, you know, particular streams, um, and in some of the streams, we actually engaged employees from both organisations to be part of groups that actually helped to shape some of those uh. changes. So, you know, where we were maybe doing some work around processes or values or, um, you know, mission statements, et cetera, we actually engaged employees from both organisations that helped us right. bring some of that together. So it's breaking down those barriers. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we became very purposeful and thoughtful about how we used any opportunity available to actually help to merge as much of those cultures as we possibly could mm. without stifling either one. And that meant that when we were doing workshops or if we were keeping two particular um, locations, right, we would then try and cohabitate people and, right. and cross-pollinate people so that individuals from either organisation so physically were physically actually interacting with each other yes. um, and sharing experiences and you know sharing ideas and thoughts and collaborating, et cetera. Um, and it allowed for, I guess, a, a more meaningful way of ensuring that the employees were engaged, but also yep. too that um, you know, we were purposeful about how we use those moments. Yeah. Um, and then it's time. A lot of cultural change mm. is time. And I think what um, sometimes gets lost in translation is, you know, people sometimes can be misled into thinking that cultural change is about we've reached the point and we're done. We've yes. ticked the box. And it's not. If you think about culture as being this you... live living thing, yes. it's continuing to change and grow and whatever. So it is. A lot of it is time. A lot of it is you've got to actually give it time for it to, um, you know, start to become the and formulate into the living, breathing thing that you are aiming for it mm. to be, or that it needs to be, or that it will be. Yeah, I guess you're right. The, the mind likes completion. Mm. Like the, the the task is completed. Tick. Tick done. Culture done. Culture done. <laughs> but that's not the case. No. No. In most cases, it's not the case. Yeah. Um, were there any bits that didn't go so well? Oh, yeah. There's always bits that don't go so yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always bits that don't go so well. I mean, one of the, one of the um, harder things in any of these change management exercises um, is that, you know, you will always have um, business decisions that will get made that, you know, are for business reasons outside of your control, yep. market reasons, industry reasons outside of your control. Um, and so, you know, one of, the, one of the most impactful things that ends up happening is that you end up impacting people's livelihood yes. through, you know, potential restructures where you are merging positions together yes. and amalgamating those things and they actually have a real life impact on a human being. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I always put that in the category of, of some things that maybe don't sometimes go very well. Yeah. You know, I think that that's about how somebody handles that 
that conversation and, and that communication. Mm. Other things that sometimes didn't go well for us in um, that M&A space and that cultural um, sort of shift space is that, you know, we sometimes had leaders who didn't really want to change. You know, they weren't, they didn't really want to model, right. um, you know, some of the, the processes mm. or, you know, they'd moved into a part of the business um, or they'd taken on a role that now required them to actually, you know, I guess model a different process, uh, follow a different process, and, you know, they, they weren't really interested in doing that. Um, and I think also, you know, they, they remained where they were. So they stayed here. Yes. You know, the business was asking them to move there, and so you then end up needing to do some work to close some of those gaps. Hmm. Um, and I what think- What sort of work was that? You know, that ends up being all sorts of things. That ends up being potentially same same as the, the previous example that I used about what levers do you pull. Mm. You know, you you future you future converse about you know what are the what's the cause and effect of this particular scenario versus mm. this other scenario and where do we actually want to be? What impact is it going to have on the business, on the employees, on the engagement, on you know, those individuals mm. that you're now, you know, looking after. Um, and you know, trying I guess to onboard those those people and bring them along for the journey. Mm. Um, the other thing that that we discovered through um, some of the cultural change is that it's really easy for me, who's not going through the change. Yes. A lot of times, you know, to just look. You're at not this. going through it because you're part of the elephant. Correct. Yeah. Because I'm part of the elephant, right? Yes. So it's really easy for me and whoever is working on some of this these pieces of work to just look at it, um, you know, a bit systematically and theoretically and say, well, there's these 25 boxes and, you know, these processes we've got to go through um, and actually not sometimes sit in the space of where mm. the people that you're directly impacting um, mm. are in. Um, and so, you know, um, sometimes we, we, we failed some of that. Um, right. we, we probably weren't as good at understanding where some of the individuals were at and so you know we we maybe didn't within communicate the, as much themselves. within themselves or as a, as a group because culture isn't just here's the organizational culture culture mm. is also here's my department's culture and here's my little team's culture yeah and here's my little team's little team's culture yeah. and here's my informal teams Correct. culture which is me and someone from there and there Correct. and there yeah, and yeah. we have this understanding um, and, and I bring my culture from my family and what went on today and, <laughs> before I got to And work. all the other stuff. And yeah. so, you know, you were finding that you were, um, you sometimes you didn't actually explore some of that as much right. and you hadn't spent as much time understanding some of that, understanding where some of those teams were at and actually bringing them along, um, helping them to engage in a different way or engaging them in a different yes. way because you were so caught up in running this process. Yes. And I suppose on one level, I suppose the pragmatics from your point of view is you have to have almost one unified homogenous way of moving forwards, but we're not homogenous individuals. So yes. everybody's going to be different. Everybody has different requirements. So your approach is going to work for some and not for others. So in some cases, we missed um, some elements of the change management model, specifically for the human factor. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I think that that became a good learning 
when we went through yet another acquisition, or it was actually a merger, mm. um, where we realised that um, it would be better for us to cherry pick the really good things rather than trying to smash these other two companies together again. Mm. Um, and we probably became a lot better or more well-versed, if I can use that term, in the human factor change management piece. Right. How do you actually, the people component, yeah. how do you bring them on the journey rather than just you know mm. create a bunch of policies and tick a bunch of boxes, et cetera? What did you learn about that, the human factor human journey? It's unpredictable. <laughs> unpredictable. Okay. That's the first thing I learned. It's unpredictable. I think um, sometimes people can tell you where they are on the journey, but most people, a lot of people don't even know themselves where they are. And so they're telling mm. you what they think they're feeling in that moment. Or what you or what want to you hear. Want to hear or, um, you know, what they're expected to say or... Um, you know, oh, right. so that performative element. Yeah, and what's actually driving them? You know, are, is it a, is it a fear piece? What I did learn is that so many human behaviours are actually driven by fear: <laughs> fear of losing my job, fear of failure. You know, fear of losing my authority, fear of losing my relativeness, fear mm. of you know the scarf response, if you will, um, and. What was interesting was that, you know, you could spend time with focus groups or groups of people and you, you'd walk away and think, yep, okay, we understand where it's at. I've got a handle on this. And then you'd come back and you'd find out there's 10 more things you didn't find out the first conversation because nobody understood that it was something that they wanted to talk about. They yeah. didn't feel like it was something that um, yeah. You know, they were going to, they felt comfortable to raise. They weren't sure what the intentions were. And so you were a lot of times going back for third and fourth rounds. Yes. Um, I think also two individuals move through the journey very differently and at different paces. And some people just don't move through. They're not interested in engaging. Hmm. Um, and actually they became sometimes some of the most valuable people um, to work mm. with because they told you outright, I'm not interested in this. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. Um, and here to do my job. I'm here to do my job. And, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't interested in what was changing, what wasn't changing. Mm. They just wanted to remain where they were. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, uh, free, free choice, you mm. know, if that's, if that's where, if that's where you want to be, then that's, that's great. That's where you want to be. And, but it was great because you knew where they were. Yes. <laughs> you weren't having to second guess where everybody was going. Mm. And, you know, where with some of the people, um, you know, they were here and then two minutes later they were moving forward. But then you'd find out, you know, two weeks later they were now back here again. Yes. So, you know. There so it's was, not a linear journey. Correct. It's not a linear <laughs> yeah. journey. It never is. Which is why I say, you know, people are unpredictable. Yes. Humans are unpredictable. Very. Yes. Although you've managed to place most of them. You do. Um, I think the unpredictability comes in what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, true. And you do. And the, I think the most important thing I also learned is that the biggest impact I had on culture was actually not the work that I was doing as a HR professional. It was actually who I was. Mm. So my own personal brand my behaviors, 
my you know um, values my authenticity my communication my consistency or lack thereof my etc and so if you think about that as an individual human that you have that amount of influence and then you think about 30 other humans around you having that amount of influence mm. that then starts to becoming starts becoming you know a huge component of the living breathing thing of culture as well yes so by you being more you you're able to influence what's going on around correct not you as hr correct job title how am i modeling all the things that i'm going out mm. there and saying how am i am i authentically aligned to them so is there an argument there that in in certain spaces the should we say the more somebody is aligned to who they are the greater power and influence they have on culture than just their job title i believe so and i think one of the biggest reasons for why i tend to have that belief is because who i am has then determined what i will tolerate what i will deal with what i will value what i will accept what i will be engaged by what i won't be engaged by mm. where i will make a call to say no this isn't for me where i'll make a call to say yep I'm, this is absolutely inspiring me um, and so I, I do think that we actually have a huge personal impact on that cultural value that exists in a business. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. I was going to ask you whether during the process, were there any particular um, sort of measures that you kept an eye on to just get a gauge on how it was going? Or was that, or did that become more of a feel thing for you? Become more of a... Feel thing um, for you. No, we did keep some measures. Mm. Um, and then post the merge, we actually brought in a specific tool that allowed us to test the uh, temperature of, I guess, the, the, the business on a regular basis. Right. Um, and that tool was, you know, something that we checked on a, a weekly and then on a monthly basis. Um, you had the tool um, live. Anyone could go in at any time and just, you know, temperature check how they were feeling, how mm. they were being engaged, um, not just by you as their direct leader, but by the organization, management, processes, systems, um, you know, impacts of doing business, doing their job, did they have the right equipment, etc. Right. And they could go in and temperature check this every day if they wanted to. They yeah, could go so in three times a day. Right, so it's continual real-time feedback. So it was real-time, it was live. Um, as a manager, you could go in live any point in time and get feedback on you know, what was and wasn't potentially uh, working or not working within your own direct team that then rolled up and rolled up to a company-wide view. Mm -hmm. So we had some real-time data that we were able to use. Um, to start off with through the original, um, uh, I guess, merge we or the acquisition, um, we were using, you know, 
some slightly different um, tools. So, you know, some, some surveys and um, some other measures that we put in place. Mm. Um, I found the real temperature checking post uh, was probably something that um, was a little bit better. Mm. Um, but it did mean that, you know, if somebody was having a bad day, they were noting that they were having a bad day and it might've just been a, a momentarily, yes. you know, a moment, a moment scenario. Um, but they had the option to do that. Mm. Mm. Did this, um, the fact that there was this focus on culture during it, did that leave a lasting trace with the leadership that culture is something that needs to be continually managed, not just during a period of flux? Um, I think it did. I, I do think that it did. Um, I think that uh, leadership um, understood it intellectually, but I think that um, it's really, there's a difference between understanding it and saying, yep, I understand that I have an impact and that it has an impact mm. um, and being able to focus on it when you have, you know, as a leader, 30 things and 29 of those are all about where's the next lot of money coming in from or how are you meeting your bottom line or, you know, mm. how are you meeting your financial objectives or your sales objectives or um, whatever else it might be. Mm. And so I think that, um, you know, it's, it's I, I, I really do feel for, for managers in today's environment. Absolutely. Because I think there is significant focus on um, the financial output of a business, significant focus on, you know, the shareholder return. Um, and, you know, I think that it takes a lot of effort to continually ensure that you keep the cultural and the human factor, mm. uh, you know, front of mind. Mm. And the systems are great. They're there, they're available. But, um, you know, I think in, in moments of, um, you know, real busyness or real pressure, every, most people revert to type <laughs> and that being and that type you know tends to be you know what's what's burning down the house right and yeah. if what's burning down the house is a fire over here you're attending to that you're yes. not thinking about you know i don't know the dishes that haven't been washed <laughs> right yeah you're running after the fire yes so it's relative and it's contextual yeah um and i do think that um, although You've just given a very, you know, your example is obviously nice and clean, as in fire is fire and it's going to burn the yeah. house down and as opposed to the dishes. Sometimes I wonder whether metaphorical fires are really fires. Sometimes they're not. Yes. I've watched leaders actually create metaphorical fires that don't necessarily yeah. always exist. Mm. Um, and sometimes you're right. They're absolutely not. Um, but I do think mm. that there is a lot of pressure on 100%. a leader, 100%. absolutely a lot of pressure on leaders who oversee a particular part of the business uh, to continue to ensure that, you know, monetarily there is, 
you know, the, the return on investment. Yes. Um, and that financial pressure is always there. Um, and, you know, I think it takes a lot of effort for leaders to actually be able to focus their time on the cultural piece. Yes. And the ones that do it really successfully are actually the ones who acknowledge that it takes them time and who acknowledge yes. that this is a hard piece of work to do when you have all of these other key things and who are open and honest about that. Yeah. Um, because I think that they get a very different engagement from their teams and from others around them because of that authenticity. Yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, okay, you, you can all, as I'm talking to you, I can always feel the dichotomous pull of an over-focus on money means that culture and people come second. But that's how it works. Absolutely. Because if you don't have that, without you don't, the people, if you don't have the money coming through, yes. your business isn't sustainable. If your business isn't sustainable, you have no people to actually yeah. manage culture. So it's actually, yeah, it's it's absolutely yes. that. Yeah, it's it's like that. it's that. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. You have to you have to manage both. Yes, um, both are just as important. Mm. Um, this impacts the money. And yes. ultimately, you know, I, I do truly believe, as I mentioned earlier, that a strong growth-focused culture tends to be aligned with more sustainable, well-performing companies. Mm. There's lots of research around that. Um, but you have to be taking care of the baseline business because mm. if you're not, then you have no people to be managing and no real business to be yeah. managing culture with. And nothing to execute, which will win your business or bring money in. Absolutely. To a related on that. Absolutely. Superb. I think we've learned a lot from this conversation. <laughs> um, one of the last questions I like to ask my guests is, what's the one thing about culture that we're not talking about that we should be talking about? I think the one thing about culture that um, we're not openly, I've not very, I've not heard it openly in conversation, um, is that each individual actually impacts culture. Yes. We talk about culture as this sort of thing over here, this conceptual thing mm. over here, right? And, you know, we talk about it. And, like, if you go and, you know, I don't know, you Google culture, you know, will tell you it's policies and procedures and values and, um, you know, behaviours, blah, blah, blah. But that's... But they're that's, organising principles. Correct. That's all just... That's just the framework. Yeah. Culture is actually... The piece, I think, about culture that we're not talking about is the individual factor. Yeah. I, as an individual, come into a space with my own values, with my own beliefs, with my own behaviours, with my own thoughts, with my own, <laughs> yeah. you know, guiding principles and, and my own brand. And I have 30 other people around me who also come with the same things. And then 100 other people around us who come with the same things. And I think we're not yet openly and very purposefully touching on that. Yes. Enough. Yes. And I guess earlier on, 
we drew a link between the more centered and the more um, I'm aware of who I am, the more I can impact positively the culture around me, I would put forward that the opposite is true as well in that the less I know about myself, the, the more that I'm in a state of turmoil within, the more I'm going to be putting that into the culture too. Uh, yeah, I mean, more than likely, absolutely. Because who you are as, you know, as a human or how you are feeling or thinking in a particular moment is, you know, the, the, the perspective that you're bringing to mm. that particular interaction, situation, conversation um, at that moment in yeah. time. And it's, it's what you're transmitting, isn't <laughs> absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yep. And all of those things are impacting the things around you and you're being impacted by the things around you as well. Yes. And so whether you think you are yeah, or not. Absolutely. <laughs> but so it is, abs there is massive relativity there. Mm. Um, I believe, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting space. Um, and I think even if you look at, you know, you and I were having a conversation um, a few days ago or a while ago about, you know, some of the um, employee engagement surveys, right? Yes. They don't, none of them delve into what you're bringing <laughs> as a human, right? Yeah. They're all just talking about, again, this conceptual mm. thing. Um, but we're all individuals. And, you know, I think that how, how we... Um, how we present ourselves in, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis um, is, is, is impacting that mm. cultural pace. 100%, 100%. This has been a great conversation. Cool, thank you for having me. If people want to reach out and find you, where can they find you? Uh, so uh, they can find me in, um, at 12ic.com.au. Um, and uh, LinkedIn. There we go. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having Thank me. You.